0: H-E-L-P dot com slash sober. It's hard to quit drinking when you feel like your drinking isn't that bad and you haven't really had any consequences from it. We justify so many things and tell ourselves that we're not that bad, so we should learn to control it or just drink less. And that's why I had my friend Casey from the Hello Someday podcast on, and we talked a lot about consequences and how our baseline for what's normal and acceptable gets so distorted while we're drinking. This is a serious one, but it's also a funny one where we share some old stories and laugh about it. Stories that clearly were not consequences, they were just normal occurrences, and I hope that by the end of this episode, you have a better idea of how to approach sobriety and this idea that you are not that bad. Casey and I also talk about the difference between doing a one-month challenge for something longer. She recommends 100 days, so she tells us why and I really think that you will enjoy this episode and after you listen you should absolutely go subscribe to the hello someday podcast if you are not already Casey is doing amazing work so let's get to the conversation Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm really excited to have you here.
1: Oh, I'm excited to be here. I love talking with you. And I think that it's going to be a great episode. Thank you. So I wanted to have you on to talk about early sobriety.
0: I think you have a lot of expertise in that area. And I think what I hear coming up from people a lot is a lack of consequences. And like my drinking isn't that bad. So they keep staying stuck in the cycle of drinking and not being happy. But because it's not that bad, they continue to drink. So I'm
1: curious if you ever felt like that while you were drinking. Oh my gosh, I felt like that for like 10 years. And it kept me stuck for a really long time. I remember, you know, before I even had my son being worried about my drinking and trying to make all the rules. So, you know, everything from the usual, right? Which is I'll only drink two drinks a night, I'll only drink on the weekends. But I even was like, I'll only drink while inside my house so I won't drive. Then I was like, I'll only drink while I'm out because I go out less often. Then I was just like making excuses to go out all the time. And, you know, I was climbing the corporate ladder. I was a director at a huge company. I actually was the youngest director in their history. I felt like I was killing it and I would to the point where when I was working really late before I had kids I would walk across the street to Whole Foods and I would get dinner and I would buy a bottle of wine and like bring it back to my office and open it up because I was like if I was working at home I'd be drinking so you know literally nothing to see here and then my son was born and I continued to worry about my drinking I was in the complete mom wine culture But I justified it as, you know, this is what helps me relax. This shows I'm still cool. This shows I'm not one of those moms who, you know, their entire life is about their child. And I went out a lot less often. So when you drink at home, you drink even more. But I didn't have any external consequences. I think we've talked about it. Mine were really internal. So anxiety. Waking up at 3 a.m., feeling like I couldn't cope with my life, feeling really unhappy despite the fact that my life was good, feeling angry. And I'm not an angry person, but feeling really angry, having fights with my husband and not remembering what they were about in the morning. And, you know, I call it like a death of a thousand cuts going on a conference trip with my uh, co-workers and tripping and falling down after dinner and spraining my ankle. I mean, throwing up in the office bathroom, trying to do it really quietly before we go visit clients like, but nobody said anything to me, you know, I mean. Sometimes when I opened a second bottle of wine on like a Wednesday night, my husband would be like, what? are you doing? But I'd be like, "What? I just want one more glass." Like I'm tired or bored or having fun or, you know, whatever. You know, my consequences were the constant hangovers and the anxiety. And I did at one point go to AA. I had gone to a therapist for anxiety and he also dealt with addiction. This was 10 years ago where AA was sort of the only, you know, game in town, and I went to it with a friend and and everybody was really nice, but it wasn't my story. And so that made me think, well, I'm not that bad. Yeah, it kept me stuck for a long time because I didn't want to be in that category, and I loved to drink, and yet I knew it was unsustainable the way I was drinking.
0: I think it's really impressive how much just Awfulness, we can tolerate and still be very successful. Like, you were a director. You obviously worked really hard if you were the youngest director, and you're drinking every night, embarrassing yourself, like blacking out, feeling anxious and horrible, and you're still like killing it during the day. It's just so impressive, like, how hard we can
1: push ourselves. Well, and it's also like, I think a lot of us got lucky. I feel like I got lucky that. You know, when I was going out, I mean, my coworkers sometimes took care of me, like got me back to my room, tucked me in kind of thing, which is embarrassing but true. But my husband was always with me. I, you know, we've been together since we were 23, and it was just this unspoken thing that he would drive home, that he couldn't drink too much, that he would pay the babysitter. And, you know, he told me later that it kind of worried him when we were international on trips in some places that were sketchy. And I was essentially dead weight and sometimes getting into trouble more than it would be if it was just the two of us. It was impressive. And yet I think I lucked out quite a bit. Not only that, but I could see that it was going to get a lot worse. And yet it was hard to stop. I work right now. I'm a sober coach. I work with really high achieving women who also struggle with alcohol. And what I love about working with them is I feel like women who kind of don't have these big external consequences and yet are drinking a lot, on a regular basis more than they want are like running a marathon with a ball and chain tied to their ankle. You know, they're dealing with kids and responsibilities and to-do lists and coworkers and business trips and they're hungover. They don't remember stuff often. They're working at half capacity. So you get rid of the alcohol and I just see them fly, which is amazing.
0: And it's interesting, too, that we always refer to it as a lack of consequences. Like, nothing bad has happened to me. I'm not that bad. I don't have any consequences. But you've just listed out. (laughs) Those are consequences. Like, what else would you call them? Like, working at half capacity, not doing your best job. You're probably maybe not climbing the career ladder like you want to. You're not being there for your kids like you want to. Embarrassing yourself.
1: Yeah. And you know, what's funny is a lot of this stuff, I think many of us keep hidden. I mean, I even went to my therapist and I was like, I'm only hurting myself, right? Meaning I take care of everyone else. I'm not dropping the balls. I'm still a good mom, you know, or at least when I pass out on the couch, my husband's around or I get the kids to bed first. And so I would literally be like, I am only hurting myself. And that's a pretty big consequence to be hurting yourself on a daily basis. And, you know, they say that, you know, normal is anything that you're used to. And I didn't realize until I stopped drinking how shitty my normal was
0: all of that. And I used to say the same thing. I'm only hurting myself. This isn't impacting anyone else. And as you were saying that, it's like, yeah, we don't count ourselves. It's like, we don't really matter that much anymore just because we're not hurting other people. That's all that matters. But the fact that we're hurting ourselves and disappointing ourselves every day, that like somehow doesn't really
1: have a big impact. I actually interviewed my husband on my podcast, and I know you did as well. And I had never really told him all of it, right? I didn't want him to know how worried I was about my drinking, because then every time I poured a fourth glass of wine, he would be like my parent, not my husband. But I did talk to him on the podcast about it and was just saying, you know, I would wake up at 3 a.m. with just crushing anxiety, and so worried that I wasn't going to fall back to sleep. How would I function the next day, I would wake up in the morning. And the first thing I would think is what the fuck is wrong with you get your shit together. And we were talking about that and a whole bunch of other stuff. And he was just like, that's kind of crazy. You know, in terms of like, that's what you get for your quote unquote reward. I deserve my wine after work. Like, this phrase he said just stuck in my mind. He was like, tell her what she's won. You know, like, she's won. What the fuck is wrong (laughs) with you? Get your shit together, you know?
0: And being up all night and hating yourself and thinking about it all day.
1: And that's not even like your head with those headaches that you felt like you could feel every brain vessel throbbing.
0: The nausea for me was the worst, like nausea of death. Sometimes I didn't think I would survive the nausea.
1: Okay, do you want to hear like the worst? <laughs> Sorry. Of <for> course. Me. <laughs> I was on a business trip. I was probably 29. This literally was when I was like the youngest director in this company history. I was in LA and I was driving in a taxi with another director pretty early to catch our flight home. And I started feeling sick. I mean, I felt sick anyway, but I really started feeling sick. And it was rush hour in the morning in LA. And it was just, (gasps) you know, like, oh my God, get there. Oh my God, get there. Like, this is awful. I'm like looking around to see what I have. And we were pulling up, we were in the departures, like traffic, but we couldn't get there. And I threw up on myself in the cab with him sitting next to me as like a director. I mean, luckily we'd all, we'd been managers together, but he was not a huge drinker. And like, right after I did, we pulled up at the airport and I was like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I I get car sick. I don't know what I was saying. I mean, obviously he knew I was drunk the night before because we'd been out at dinner together. And he was like, Uh, And the driver was like, what the fuck? And, you know, it's like 9 a.m. And so I just, he was like, "Uh, I'll pay, you know, (laughs) whatever. So I jump out of the car. I had my like New York Times in a plastic bag in the back, like that was would have been helpful to have in the back seat. And so I grabbed my bag, I went into the bathroom, I stripped off all my clothes, I put all my pukey clothes in this like plastic bag, I stuck it in my like roller bag, because obviously, I'm a very important director. And we walk around like that. And then, you know, Tried to clean my, I mean, it was the worst. And so I called my husband and I was like, Oh my God, do you think he's going to tell anyone? And he was like, You fucking threw up on yourself. Like, I'm pretty sure he's going to. And I was like, Maybe he thinks he'll, maybe I can tell him I'm pregnant. And he was like, You were boosting last night. I was like, Well, maybe I can tell him I didn't know. He was like, Well, you know, he noticed if you're not pregnant. I was like, All right. Never mind. Like you know, in Jerry Maguire, where you're like, "How do I spin this?" And she's like, "Oh, it's spun. <laughs> like, there's no, there's no coming back from this." Oh my gosh! But like that didn't count in my mind as a big bottom. That counted as like I really should carry throw up bags in my purse, which I did after that. Like I have them, you know, from airplane. Like it. Our minds are so crazy.
0: And that's not a consequence. And then you kept walking around saying, I don't have any consequences. It's not like it's that bad. That's a huge
1: consequence. (laughs) But like... I didn't get fired. Over <laughs> I didn't get demoted. No one took me to HR. Like, so you just skate by.
0: Yeah. If we label like a consequence. It's like the worst thing that could ever
1: happen. A DUI. Your kids get hurt. Your husband divorces you. Your whatever. You hurt yourself. You hurt someone else. Like puking on yourself in a taxi. That's just like, yikes. That was bad. Don't ride in taxis with coworkers anymore. (laughs) Like, the solution is insane.
0: I've thrown up on
1: myself, too, actually. Hopefully, I mean, actually, not hopefully, you were alone. Like, that would (laughs) be. I was was like, actually, that's dangerous, you know? It
0: was, yeah, I, um, anytime I got sick, it, it was usually very, very public, unfortunately. Oh, nice. Score. Yep. Not, a, not a consequence though, actually. I didn't consider it a consequence. It was Halloween. So I got disgustingly drunk because that's what you do. As one does. Yeah. And then we were taking the subway because we were responsible drunk people. And I, Irish goodbye the party, even though it was a good friend, because I felt like I was going to just die. Like I had that feeling where I knew I had to be sick, but it wasn't happening. And I kept going in her bathroom, like hoping it like almost trying to make it happen because I felt so
1: bad. Oh, I would throw up on purpose to like, yeah, right. Try to save myself from the next day.
0: Yeah. And it wouldn't happen. And I like grabbed my husband, peaced out. And then it happened on the crowded subway platform at like midnight on Halloween. I just like fell. Like I crumpled over. (laughs) I just started like unloading on and I had to sit. Our poor husbands. Our poor husbands. Right? Right? He had to sit next to a woman covered in throw up. (laughs) And then we had to take an Uber home and he had to put a woman covered in throw up. I'm surprised
1: the Uber would take you. Sometimes they like take off. I know I wouldn't take me. And then we sit there and we're like, God, if I stop drinking, my husband's gonna think I'm no fun. You know? (laughs) That was so much fun. I'm sure that's like a highlight in his mind. Yeah, right. I won't be sexy and sophisticated anymore.
0: (laughs) So classy. Such a classy wine drinker. Okay, so we were talking about lack
1: of consequences, but I think we've established that, you know, (laughs) some things happened.
0: Yeah, and it's, it's so interesting how we just dismiss them, and it's not that bad. And we label like, you have to be the worst. Like you have to completely ruin your life to need to stop drinking. And we tolerate so much humiliation, like the embarrassment that I felt from that and like many other experiences. Oh, I wanted to like move a couple times from the embarrassment.
1: And waking up and like trying to remember what you said or did. I mean, That was like a weekly occurrence, you know, especially at like big events like people's weddings or, you know, all the good (laughs) ones where like literally everyone is there.
0: Yeah. And you mentioned something recently about how I think you were just like chilling with your husband and you guys were talking about a show. I forget which one it is. Scandal. Yeah, that. Was it
1: where I didn't remember it?
0: Yeah. And then you watch the whole show and at the end you're like, oh my gosh, I did watch this. And that's scary.
1: It's scary. It's completely scary. And little and big things were starting to slip. And the little things, you know, stab you through the heart. I mean, completely embarrassing. But I was also a mom right before I stopped the first time. uh, My son Hank was five. It was the day before St. Patty's Day. And in kindergarten, they built this big trap and there were gold coins in it. And the leprechaun was supposed to come. Drank way too much passed out. He came into my room crying, which by the way, you're supposed to be up before your five-year-old maybe on a school day, right? I mean, it was, you know, 7 a.m. or something, right? It wasn't three in the morning because the leprechaun hadn't come. And just the shame Because I'd forgotten and passed out and whatever. You know, and then you're scrambling, you're trying to cover yourself. I was like, oh, maybe he got caught next door. Like, such bullshit. And like, I mean, those were the little things that were starting to slip. The big things were definitely just crushing anxiety and panic and feeling like I couldn't cope and worried about my mental health and you know those things where I would just be in tears and telling my husband I just I was just trying to get through the day and it was because like my nervous system was fucking devastated from drinking.
0: Yeah and our baseline gets so low. That we started out not being able to handle much or like deal with our emotions. And then things just get worse and worse and worse. And it feels like, how could I even survive without alcohol?
1: Yeah. And some of it, like you won't realize how much, you know, how low the bar has come until you stop drinking. Like we're so used to it and our thought patterns are so distorted that, you know, I always suggest a hundred day break from alcohol. 30 is, is a great start, but a hundred days is even better. And we can talk about why. But when you get that far enough away and your mind and body is healed and you've gotten through a lot of the things you're terrified of and you're in the habit of not drinking, you'll look back and be like, I can't believe I lived that way every day. That was not only ridiculous, but painful. And you don't even realize it till you get away from it.
0: Yeah, I remember I was about two months in and I was like, geez, man, like, how did I not realize? How long did it take you to feel that way?
1: I remember writing sort of a letter. I was on those secret Facebook groups. And there was a tradition of when people hit 100 days, sort of sharing where they were and what they were thinking. And and I remember being like, I can't believe how much has changed in my life. And yet externally, nothing had changed, right? Same job, same husband, same kids, same friends, totally different hobbies. I mean, I'd run a 10k, which I'd been saying I was going to do for 12 years and never did. Um, Sleep was amazing. And anxiety was down. But externally, it looked the same. And yet, I felt so much different. I was proud of myself. I was confident. I didn't think I was a bad mom or a bad wife or a shitty person anymore you know like and then I looked back and I was like how did I do that to myself for so long I mean there were definitely moments before 100 days where I would like walk into work at 8 a.m and be like oh my god I love my life and I was like what the fuck has changed I used to be like I want to shoot myself walking into work But like the mountain was out and the birds were flying and I was had energy and I was thinking about something that made me excited. So there were great parts. There were also hard parts in between.
0: Yeah, definitely. And it's hard to learn like what to do with your what to do with your time and what to do with your feelings. Which one do you think was harder for you, the time or the feelings? Definitely
1: the feelings. And I'll tell you why, because I was pretty busy at the time. So when I quit, I had an eight-year-old son and a two-year-old daughter and a full-time job. And my husband works at a private school and is a coach. And so when I quit, it was just the start of the varsity baseball season. And he was gone a lot, you know, all day Saturdays, most afternoons. So the time kind of took care of itself. I'm amazed looking back how I managed to drink and I mean, I know how I did. I would walk in the door, pour myself a glass of wine, glass of wine while I was cooking dinner, glass of wine while doing the dishes, get my kids to bed and like settle in for the party on a Tuesday night on my couch. But the time, you know, I just did all those things without drinking and, you know, still went to bed really early, started working out in the morning. The emotions were really hard when I had a bad day at work or when my boss was shitty to me. I just desperately wanted to go out and buy a bottle of wine. Like, I just wanted to dive into that shit. I was surprised how strong my emotions were in the beginning. I actually felt rage. And we've talked about this, like rage at my husband, rage at work. And it was the first time, I mean, I'm not a rageful person. I mean, now, right? Like, not at all. I'm pretty even and positive. But I remember sitting at the top of my driveway, crying, Raging, just sitting there. And then it passed. And that was incredible to me. It just subsided because it has to. And instead of being angry and drunk and continuing to rage, I just went back to the garden. Physical activity was really good, but like it didn't perpetuate. And I didn't fly off the handle. And I didn't text my coworkers and like bitch about shit that like in the angry, drunk state that's no good.
0: Yeah. And I think that's interesting the first time that a feeling passes and you realize like, It didn't get me. Did you have that too? Oh my God, I was so angry. I'm still- You're like, I'm still angry. Yeah, I do consider myself an angry person. That's so weird. I never see that in you. It's internal. (laughs) It's a low burn anger that just like exists in the background and sometimes will come out. But Oh man, for a year, I was filled with rage and I could not- Like it would just appear and I didn't know why. I just felt so angry and it was so much that I couldn't do other things. Like I was having trouble functioning because the anger was so intense. And then like you said, eventually, you can't stay angry forever. So eventually it would pass.
1: What'd you do when you were feeling so angry?
0: I rant to my husband a lot.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I rant to my best friend.
0: I don't know if he listens the whole time, but he doesn't need to. He gets the overall point. I would rage walk. I would rage lift. Sometimes I'd go to the gym like at night and just like walk in there like, okay, where's the heaviest thing in this gym? (laughs) That's what I'm lifting. And so I would do things like that to kind of get rid of it. But I think what helped the most, which like nobody wants to hear is I went to therapy and I learned like, why I've always been angry. I was always a really angry child and a very angry teen. And then when I started living with my husband, which is also the same time I started drinking every day, magically I stopped being such an angry, stressed out person. And I thought it was like, I worked on things and my life is better. And, and I realized like, no, you just stuffed down the anger with wine every single day. And now here it is because you didn't deal with it years ago. So I had to learn like, like, why do I feel angry? And it's usually like, I feel like I'm being wronged or mistreated or disrespected. And that's what makes me so angry.
1: For me, it was anxiety. And I think most of us and just most human beings have something that Why drinking works for them initially, right? What it helps them not think about until it doesn't work. And for me, it was definitely anxiety, even though it makes it worse, right? Even though drinking makes anger worse. I mean, when I was four months sober, I felt a huge anxiety thing come on. I went to my doctor and I was like, I cannot go back to drinking, but I also want to jump out of my skin and I can't feel this way anymore. And she, sent me to a therapist, I got on medication. And I went to my therapist for a year and did EMDR. And and it was amazing. I mean, you have to get out of the drinking cycle. But then you get to deal with the shit that's been there since childhood or high school or your early 20s that you finally get to resolve because we got a lot of years left. I am so glad I dealt with that at 40. Because at 47, it comes up but nowhere near I'm better emotionally equipped to deal with it.
0: Yeah, I was reflecting the other day. I actually um, ruined my coffee table a couple weeks ago. I was eating really hot spaghetti and I had like those those potholder things. But it was so hot that like the potholder zigzag pattern like burned into my into my wood coffee table. And a few years ago, Jill would have absolutely lost it and like went completely nuts. So upset. And this time I was just like, that's really disappointing. I love this table. (laughs) And that's it. And I didn't realize it for a couple weeks. I just realized this like yesterday because I see that stupid zigzag every single day. It's so big.
1: You need to get a new one for the holidays. Like tell your husband, (laughs) this is what I want. A
0: new table. Yeah. But just knowing like things don't have control of me anymore is so empowering. Like I don't have to let a stupid zigzag on a table ruin my day anymore. So you were a coping drinker. It sounds like. I mean,
1: I, I drank 365 nights a year. So I was a coping drinker, a party drinker, <laughs> a sad drinker, a social drinker. You know what I mean?
0: Why did you initially start? What was it? Was it coping or, or so? Oh, I think it was
1: social, right? It was all of the above. So I moved a ton. When I was a kid, my parents were foreign service. We moved to different countries and continents every, every two to three years. And then I went to boarding school and I had this like sense always like this as soon as I get to a new place I've got like two weeks to make friends like then the social groups coalesce then it was slightly weird the degree to which I was just like hi I'm Casey damn glad to meet you and so I went to college and it was the first time I could really drink because I went to boarding school and if you drank you'd get suspended or expelled so I was I was a very good girl and went to college and keg parties man they they were fucking amazing. I would, like, get drunk and, like, have deep conversations with anyone and go up to anyone and, like, go back to anyone's room and have a party and... I thought it was working for me. I really, really did. I was like, I can forget about being awkward and whether I say the right things and I fit in and this is the best, you know, and we did have a lot of fun. I don't remember a lot of it, but I, you know, I was sick a lot, but like <laughs> in my mind, it was awesome.
0: Yeah. Not a consequence, right? Blackouts and sickness.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Normal. <laughs> I, I was like, yeah, falling in the snow in Maine and getting stuck.
0: You know? Totally normal behavior happens to everybody.
1: Well, that I was on the women's rugby team and I'm not exaggerating when I say literally everyone else did that shit too. Like we used to have the power hour where you like take a shot every minute and like we used to do keg runs where we would run after a truck that had a keg on it in practice and like keg stands, funnels, drink boot drink. I mean, so technically <laughs> it was not that unusual.
0: And then what happened like after college did you just keep it going and were other people doing it too or did you slowly become the only one I
1: kind of always like and I think a lot of us do this to like be like oh drinking's okay I sort of evolved what I was drinking based on my time in life so early 20s was sort of cocktails out with friends but I don't remember a lot of that stuff but I always took taxis as you said I, you know, used to drink a bottle of wine at home after a quote unquote hard day of work. But I thought that's what adults did. But I didn't know how to cook because I went to boarding school and then I went to college. So I literally would eat Lucky Charms <laughs> with red wine. And I was like, damn, I'm an adult out, you know. So classy. Yeah, but I like would drink so much before a business trip to New York. Seriously, I would not hire Casey that was drinking. Like, you know, I don't know how how I like got promoted first, but like. When I was in my early 20s, we'd go on these business trips up to New York to American Express, and I'd be wearing my ridiculous suit that like looked horrible on me because that was back in the day. And that morning, I would be throwing a bile for hours. Like, so I'd fly up and be so concerned about not throwing up that I thought it weirdly worked for me because then I wouldn't be so anxious about the business meeting. And like to the point where I talked to my mom, I mean, throwing a bile was not that unusual unusual. I swear to God, I had other redeeming qualities. Like I'm telling these stories and they're like, Jesus Christ. But Like my mom was like, I think you should reevaluate your relationship with alcohol. And that became my joke. Like I would literally tell that when I was out with friends as like, you know, I'll be here all night with all my great (laughs) webliners. I was also just, I feel bad now. I was a very nice person. It was (laughs) my job. I was hyper, like, I'm like, shit, I sound bad.
0: (laughs) No, no, you're, we all do it. So you're telling it and someone's like, yep. (laughs) I thought it was just me. When you quit, you did 100 days. And why do you think 100 is better than 7 or 30 or just trying to do the weekends? Like why would you recommend? Or
1: forever. Or forever. Yeah, good point. So I hired a sober coach. Like I said, I went to AA. It wasn't for me, you know, triggered all those thoughts of I'm not that bad. And I The framework, the dogma, the traditions, it didn't align with um, my personality or my worldview. So, the second time I quit, I worked with a sober coach, which is what inspired me to become one myself. And what I liked about it was she had a 100 day challenge. It was Belle from Tired of Thinking About Drinking. I emailed her every single day. I was terrified because I couldn't get past day four not drinking. But having that goal and having that support. Yeah. <laughs> gave me a date to work for that would get me out of I just want to drink on the weekends or I'm just going to get to 30 days. In my mind, like if you're starting with 30 days, that's amazing because that's long enough to experience a couple weekends without drinking. It's long enough to maybe go to a bar and order a non-alcoholic beer. It's long enough where your dopamine levels are just getting reset. So you experience your your level of contentment and you're sleeping Better, right? So you will notice benefits. The problem with 30 days is what most people do is the first two weeks just suck. I mean, they just do. You're not sleeping well, you're in withdrawal, you crave a drink, you're irritated that you're not drinking, all the other shit. And then the second two weeks, you're really psychologically counting down, waiting for it to be over so that you can drink as your reward for not drinking. And, you know, we do this and then we're like, see, there's no problem. I can go 30 days anytime, you know, I'll just drink now and do another 30 days X time. So 100 days is long enough that you actually have to learn how to live alcohol free. So, you'll have to go through a birthday, an anniversary, a vacation, a holiday without drinking. You'll have to kind of settle in and figure out how to enjoy it. You'll pick up new hobbies. You'll get more comfortable with people going out with them and talking with them about how you feel. And the goal is that by the time you get to 100 days, you will look back and say, I feel so good. I want to see what six months feels like. I want to see how much better I can get by then, how much more progress, how much more calm I'll feel. When people come to me and say, I know I can never drink again. I don't want to drink again, ever. I tell them that's great. That's awesome that you feel that way. But Only think about 100 days right now because I think if you sit there and say, I will never ever drink again, the first time you see someone in a bar drinking your favorite beverage, you will think, I will never have that again. And it's real easy to be like, one more time, I'm just going to do it once more. But if you know it's 100 days, I tell people, like, if you don't love it, the alcohol will be there, you know, like no one's taking it away. But I hope you will not want to go back to living the way you were.
0: I've never heard anyone describe it like that. And I thought that that was perfect where you said like the first two weeks, you're just kind of like hanging on, just sucks. You're just like surviving it. And then the last two weeks, because you're almost done, turns into a countdown. Oh, you're just
1: white knuckling it, you know, so you can drink again.
0: Yeah. And that makes you miss all of the benefits and like miss some key learnings and insight that you could I love that. I've never thought about it that way even though I have personally done that. Like I didn't I did 90 days, so I did longer, but I did have that like countdown vibe at the end like ooh, I can drink
1: again soon. I can't wait. And it it puts your focus on You're still putting alcohol on this pedestal as the end all be all. And one of the things about Going alcohol free, one of the key things to do is you actually need to like rewire your reward structure. You need to change the things that make you feel good and experiment. And if you're just waiting to drink again as your reward, you won't do other things that you're like, oh my god, this is awesome. This is my treat for being alcohol free. I get to experience this.
0: Yeah. And when you're willpowering your way through, you're just like waiting. You feel like you have to not drink, but you're just waiting to drink. You're missing so much. I love that. That was like a moment for me. (laughs) So thank you. So what would you say to somebody who wants to do 100 days because they've been listening to these consequences that are actually consequences and they worry about their drinking, but they don't
1: actually want to stop drinking because they like it. Oh my God. I would say that I don't know a single person who loved to drink who actually wanted to stop. On my first day, my first call with my coach, she said, nobody wants to stop drinking, you want to feel better. And I promise you and you just have to trust me that if you stop drinking, you will feel better. So if you're waiting until the moment when you don't want to drink again, like it'll never happen. Like I think alcohol is like this magnet that when you're close to it, the pull is really, really strong. And as you get further away, the magnet pull is is weaker and weaker and weaker. I would just say don't wait, until you want to stop drinking, treat this as an experiment. You know what your next three months are going to look like. If you're drinking, you know the good and the bad. And you have no idea what it would be like if you weren't drinking, what you could accomplish, how you would feel, things you would do. And like, aren't you curious to see what that's like? Yeah. And if you don't like it, then you can just... But even that will give you information. I mean, the reason that seven years ago, I stopped drinking and went to my doctor and said, I cannot go back to drinking is because I'd stopped once before. And lo and behold, my life got better. My anxiety went away. I was happier. And I... thought it was situational, right? God, I feel so much better, but I have a different job and my husband's being nicer and I've figured out my kids. So therefore I can go back to drinking. And the second time I stopped, I had gotten to the exact same low place where I felt like I couldn't cope. I knew it was the alcohol. So if you stop, my hope is you'll feel so good. You'll want to just move the goalposts. You'll want to just go a little bit further, but Even if you go back to drinking, and trust me, I don't recommend it because I drank for 22 months and felt like shit a lot and took those pictures of yourself to remind yourself how shitty it is and write yourself the notes. But even if you go back, every time you're hungover, you'll remember how much better you feel when you're not drinking. Every time you do something really embarrassing or text someone or wake up, you'll be like, this type of thing didn't happen when I wasn't drinking. So I I highly encourage you to take a longer break from alcohol. And after the first two, three weeks, it gets so much easier.
0: Yeah. And I feel like we've, we've been talking a lot about how the consequences aren't that bad. And when you stop and you go back, and the same consequences start to show up, I feel like it's easier to see them for what they actually are because you can't just dismiss it as normal because it was gone. And now you said it better earlier, like what normal is. It's like what you're used to. Now you're not used to that anymore. So now it's like, whoa, this isn't what I should be
1: experiencing every single weekend. So I always say like I stopped without any big, there it was just a normal day. Yes and no, right? I mean, again, death of a thousand cuts. Two weeks before, I'd gone to Arizona to a nice fancy resort with my family on winter break and went out to dinner. And we were in, you know, my kids were little. I had a two year old. So we mm-hmm. had a room with like two queen beds. Um, So my kids were in a bed. My husband and I were in a bed. I woke up, went to the bathroom, turned on the water in the sink because I was throwing up red wine, which if you're on your knees at the age of 39, throwing up red wine, trying to be quiet so your husband and kids don't hear you, like it's hard to rationalize that one, right? Especially if you've not drank before and you're like, oh yeah, this shit didn't happen. I mean, you're on your knees and you're like, fuck. (laughs) <laughs> like, you know, you know, it's hard to like forget that.
0: Yeah, I haven't thrown up in three years. Yeah, isn't that incredible? It's very empowering. I don't have to worry about spontaneously getting sick in random places anymore.
1: Okay, I still get carsick sometimes, but I know it's not because I was drinking. And so when I do, I'm just like, oh, I'm carsick. It's not because I'm brutally hungover. And that feels so much better. And that feels so much better for... Everything. Like, I still mess up. I still forget stuff. My husband still says to me, We talked about this, but I'm no longer defensive about it. I'm no longer trying to play off like I remember it. I'm just like, Oops, sorry. You know, like, and it's like water off a duck. It's not heavy anymore.
0: Yeah, it doesn't derail your mental health and your entire day, we can now just deal with stuff and move through it. Casey, you are amazing, as always. I love
1: you. So anyone listening to this, like Jill and I are (laughs) friends. I love talking to her. So this is fun.
0: Yeah, we will have to do it again and again. I teased this online and everybody was like, I love you guys. So (laughs) this will be a good one. If we don't know who you are, where can we connect with all of your amazing work?
1: Yeah. Well, I have a podcast, the Hello Someday podcast. It is a coaching approach I have on amazing authors and coaches and therapists and folks like jill to explain alcohol in your body it's for sober curious and gray area drinkers my hope is that you can search and find an episode that will help you exactly where you are um you can find that anywhere and my website is hello someday coaching with tons of free guides and resources and information
0: awesome i'll have all that in the show notes for everybody but what are you working on next what's new for you in the in the new year
1: Yeah, well, dry January is a huge time. So right now I have a course, it's called the Sobriety Starter Kit. 600 women have gone through it and I am constantly adding new content to it to make it, I want it to be the most comprehensive self-study program for women who want to take a break from drinking. So I'm adding a private podcast to it with all the course content. I uh, partnered with Mary Tilson from Sun and Moo, yoga and she's creating a package of seven breath work and meditation practices to add to it i'm doing a dry january kickoff so lots of good stuff you are going to be very
0: very busy <laughs> yes yeah and thank you again for coming on and everybody check out the hello someday podcast and all of casey's amazing resources